welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour. We've often mentioned microservices, monolithic architectures on previous episodes, but I realized we haven't really gone deep on the pros and cons of both. Uh, so in this episode, we are joined by Catherine to help share her perspectives on both microsystems and monolithic architectures. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? So I'm Catherine. I'm a software engineer at GitHub. And today I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. Nice. And might I add, in the proper copper cup, which yes, is, it's the I'm only impressed. Way. Yeah. I mean, you, you're right. Like you can't, I mean, you could drink it out of just like a glass, but it's, it, it it's loses its cool same. factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like copper cups, let's just take a second here. It is not cheap to buy a copper cup. Have you ever gone yeah, to well a, bar, a bar or a restaurant and had to, they have to let they like take your ID to have the copper cup because no they don't way. want people stealing them? <laughs> no, I've never seen that. I mean, it's probably that. smart because I'm sure a lot have, but no, I have not experienced that. <laughs> maybe maybe I need to order more Moscow mules. So that's maybe my problem. <laughs> or go to Dodgy or bars like... where they <laughs> can't afford to lose the $10 cup. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's also give introductions to panelists. I mean, Stacey, it's you and I. You may as well start it off. Sure. I'm Stacey London. I'm a senior front-end engineer on Trello. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front-End Happy Hour podcast, we love to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Architecture. Architecture architecture all right i'm pretty sure this word is going to come up uh, maybe too much but we'll see let's hop right in uh, i figured we, to start with we've got to define what a microservice is and what a monolith architecture is cheers all right i've already started cheers already started so it. i'd love to hear your thoughts on them go ahead and talk about what a monolith is so monolithic architecture my drink's really good so i don't mind saying it <laughs> it's a, so it's when it's a single repository that houses your entire application. So all the functionality, the client, the server, the database level, and most importantly, the whole system is deployed as exactly one unit. Well defined on the monolith. And Stacey, you want to do microservice? Or you want me to? Uh, you can go ahead. I want to hear your interpretation. All right. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Uh, so. Opposite to the monolith is microservices are really split up. It's like separation of concerns. Like I think about it as like even from front end to back end, you've got like the front end code is very separated from the back end code. But really, you're you're thinking about it more in services versus a single unit. I like that unit part, Catherine. So I'm gonna steal that and use it in mine. How did I do, Stacy? That's that's good. Yeah, I for I feel like there's a couple ways to think about it. Like the monolith of like say a web application where yeah, like what Catherine was saying, you have maybe the all the code that powers the back end APIs, but you also have all your front end code, so your HTML and your CSS and your JavaScript. It's all like in one 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 spot and it all gets deployed at the same time. So if you wanted to make like a super small change to CSS and change the color of something, well, you have to deploy everything. Um which can be potentially dangerous. So, um, and take a really long time if you have to like run a bunch of tests and everything uh, for for every piece of the the code base. So, that's kind of how I think of like monolith, um, the microservice stuff. I always kind of associate that with 
APIs and backend, but I, I think that could probably apply to like front end as well. Cause you could, you could like deploy a piece of the front end as a service and it can be small. So I suppose you yep. could apply it that way, but I think traditionally I've always thought of microservices as backend things and yeah, and the same thing. So like, instead of having maybe like a particular API endpoint in the package associated with that be deployed uh, along with the whole thing that I just described, it would be like, oh, that's an independent service that gets deployed on its own and is managed on its own. Um, and it could be really small. It's maybe like not an API with like many, many different methods and, and ways to interact with it. Maybe it's like super tiny and like just one one method or something like that. When I think about microservices, I think about like how if you're using a service from a different company, like maybe you're using Firebase for authentication and it, it gives you an API that you can work with, but you don't have to worry about any of the internals. So it's kind of like that, but you could have those services within the same company. So different teams have their own services that they work on and all that really matters is the public API that they give you to work with um, within the same company. Oh, I like that point as well. I feel like, yeah, I think we've got a good baseline of what the two code base setups. I'm trying to avoid our keyword. I don't, I don't know what the <laughs> best way to do it. But yeah, we've, we've covered that. So that's good. I am curious, as, as, as we started talking, I realized, what are both of your experiences working in those environments? Because I, I feel like I've had, a, had both. And, and I'm curious if how each of you have worked in, whether it be a monolithic or microservice-based system. Yeah, so currently I work at GitHub and I work in GitHub's monolith every day. So the vast majority of github.com is the same code base. So it's one single code base where everything lives. I think it's like almost 14 years old now. It has over a million commits. So it's big. Um, and that was a learning curve for me. And it was a little bit overwhelming because coming on, I have my one like project that my team works on, which is GitHub sponsors, but it's part of the whole GitHub code base. So it wasn't just like this small area of concern that I could look at and understand all the code. Like there were no well-defined boundaries where my team's service was separated from the rest of the code base. And prior to GitHub, I worked at small startups where it wasn't necessarily microservices, but it, it was pretty small scale. So I don't, I don't have much experience with large scale microservice systems. So I'd be interested if either of you do. Yeah, I think I kind of a familiar experience um, before joining uh, Trello, I worked on Bitbucket. So very kind of similar, I think, to GitHub in a lot of ways where, yeah, built out as like a, you know, traditional style web application where a lot of the, you know, HTML and all that was rendered on the server and before the days of, of single page apps and such. So that, you know, that whole thing is a, you know, Django powered web application with Python and basically big monolith, like everything in there. We started, when I was working on it, we started breaking that out. And so we took the front end, some of the front end pieces of it into a, a single page app architecture. And then that got pulled out into a separate repo. So we could work on that independently and start like deploying pieces of the app or even entire pages um, separate from everything else. And so we started to do that kind of breaking apart of things, which was nice. And then, but even then you can go a little too far. Like at one point we kind of broke away and created another repo for the front end where it was like the shared components for the front end. So then we had like the kind of page level stuff in one repo and then the components in another. And it started to get 
almost hard to manage because you have like many repos now that you might have to do a pull request in for like a single change. And that can kind of get annoying. So maybe that's like one of the potential downfalls if you start to break things up like in that way, it can be kind of tough to manage. Um, we ended up bringing that back together into the front end repo. And then we had something that we called a mono repo. So like not a monolith, but like a single repo that had these separated, these things that had boundaries, but still lived in the same repository. So it was easier as a developer to like make changes. So that was kind of uh, a little bit of like one of my experiences working in those kinds of architectures. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. I like that. Yeah, I've both experiences or and but then even to some of the points hearing Stacy talk, it also reminded me of times where we've migrated from a monolith to more microservice or breaking apart. And Stacy, I'm sure you went through a lot of pain doing that too, but it's not easy. It's it's like separating concerns and like trying to to migrate pieces of it while other things are getting developed on top of it. It's not that easy. Netflix is very microsystems across the company, which is amazing, but also like daunting. Like there's just a lot of different services and things happening that you're probably not even aware of them all, which like being an engineer there. And so that's kind of scary in some ways too, but it, it I think it's cool. Like I feel like the one thing I've always thought about what I like about microservices is you kind of have that model of do one thing and do one thing really well. So you really understand your service and you understand it really well. And, you know, Stacy, if she owned another one and Catherine owned another, like each of us knows our system really well. And, and that's where we're focused. And I, I do like that. I think there's something to be said about that. There are drawbacks, which we will get into as well, but I, I figured it'd be interesting to kind of maybe focus on maybe even just the benefits of the monolith first before, and then we can kind of work our way towards some of the trade-offs between the two. One thing that comes to mind as a benefit of a monolith is that basically the entire company is in the same tech stack and has like some understanding of the entire system. So I can ask for help from people across all teams and also people can move between teams very easily. So we have that, even the department that I'm in, we, we have, a handful of different projects and people move between them fairly often, um, which is kind of nice because people can dive right in when they join a new team and have a pretty good understanding of what's going on because everyone at GitHub knows Rails because everyone is working in Rails. Whereas in a microservice uh, environment, it might be like a completely different technology or language uh, in each service. Yeah, I suppose if you don't have like a strong company culture and tech stack or, or tech stack culture, so like teams can't, you know, if you spin up a bunch of microservices and they're, yeah, in different technologies, like you writ one's written in Go and another one's written in Java or something that, yeah, it's hard to like have someone to be able to like hop between those and be super productive. If, if, if you don't have like a overarching company strategy to be like, we're going to write all of our services in X and like makes it harder to, to move around. Yeah. I think also with monolithic is Typically, it's easier to deploy too, because you're you're really just taking the whole application and shipping it, right? Versus like having some part of the application, like in a microservice world, you're like some of it's shipped and some of it's not, and so you have a little more coordination on how that ship versus hey, it's all you know, copy this package and of the application and the server, done, deploy. So it's a little simpler in that sense. Yeah, setting up the whole deployment process 
I think can be easier because you have one pipeline and you can get it set up really well. So like at GitHub, we have we have our system for deploying. We have our deploy trains. A lot of it's automated, our CI CD pipeline, and all that is is automated and it was implemented once and now everyone uses it. Whereas if you were constantly creating new services, you'd have to like get that whole pipeline up and running for each individual one. Absolutely. Like you hit that one big time where it's like, it's a coordination tax to figure out how is my service going to deploy and also how are other services and timing happening too. So there's, there's definitely more of a coordination on the microservice side. Yeah. Even for things like, um, like linters and setting up your, the way that your code styles and all those things, like with a, with a monolith, like you kind of just set it up once and, and everybody's good. Whereas, yeah, if you had microservices, you're, you're potentially setting up those code formatters and linters and all that tooling, like over and over and over again. I guess one downside though, compared would be flexibility, right? Like, so now you're, you're all agreeing on that and no one's ever going to agree on that linting rule or a style. It's, I mean, we can debate that all day long as engineers, but so it gives you a little less flexibility in the sense that, I mean, even in a 10 person team, you're probably going to still have disagreements on like what the right style is. But when you're more microservice driven, you can actually have, you know, debate in the smaller group, what's the right thing uh, for how your style is and, and adopt that. And like every other team can be different if you want. I see like good and bad on that point though like should we optimize for stylistic of, of what we're developing maybe but I, I don't know if that's the you know it's like what's the most important thing is what's shipped and like what's you know how it performs on the uh, end state of the user yeah i was going to say the downside of that is making that decision over and over and over again like the, the time added up uh like over the course of the company of each team like making all those decisions over and over again could be a downside. Um, another really big benefit of a monolith is that you don't have to worry about like requests between services. So HTTP API calls and stuff like that. Like uh, with that, you have to worry about, you know, like failure states if those requests fail and like the latency of that and stuff like that. Whereas if it's like a Rails code base or something, you just have your data right there and you can just send it over to your view and you don't have to worry about making all those extra requests. As we were talking about the styles, one thing that I see as a disadvantage on the monolithic code base is styles is okay, fine. Like that's not a big, necessarily a big blocker, but the choice of technology can be adopting a, like if we're talking front end, adopting a new framework, let's say you're, you know, it's old legacy jQuery and you're like, we need to adopt something new like React. That becomes really difficult to just do in isolation. One thing I think of the has always been an advantage, I think, in the microservice world is that one team could completely change what they're using for technology or a framework or whatever. As long as the contract between the services is the same, the other team has no idea that that happened. And I think there that can be really great and empowering where you're like, we're seeing disadvantages on the UI that, you know, our UIs were missing some features or they're not performant. So we can just go change that. And someone on a backend service is like, yeah, I had no idea that you even did that. That's really cool because it's just completely separated. I totally agree with that. Uh, I think I told you, Ryan, the other day that like my one complaint at GitHub is I miss like using newer frameworks like React. And like GitHub doesn't have the ability to like quickly change over to things like that. And to be fair, it's, it's never a quick change, even if you're already in the microservice world and it's like, 
React is great. And then we're like, oh, you know what's really cool is like this new framework that doesn't even exist. Like, let's just jump on it. That's not an easy thing to do. Or even sometimes upgrading like something like React is not just a quick, easy change. So, you know, to be fair, there is still that like concern, but you're right. Like it becomes that much harder in a monolithic uh, architecture. Cheers. Cheers. Maybe that's sometimes a good thing that you don't get to jump so quickly into the new thing because, you know, you think about some the life cycle of React and how like over time, you know, people have implemented it and then are running into problems where things are slow or sluggish and they're like, oh, maybe if we render it on the server, it'll be faster. And you're like, but we were running it on the server and <laughs> sort of this like full circle you know, architectural flow of, of how we do things. And maybe that's not a bad thing, you know, for monoliths is that, you know, you, you don't jump to something too quick before you might understand that there might be issues that you're going to run into. But it's so fun, Stacey. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> Developer happiness right there. <laughs> I was thinking another disadvantage on the monolith is even the fact of because it's such a large application is you now have that large application on your local machine. Like there's, it is, it's big, right? And, and so you're figuring out all the complexities that are there. I think that sometimes that can be harder. Like I know we mentioned like, oh, well you get, you get to see all the different things and can interact and it's, you know, the separation of concerns sometimes it's not there, which could be a good thing, but it can also be a, of a con too in, in my mind it, it makes it harder to to just understand especially thinking of a new engineer catherine like joining github it's like there's a probably a lot of things you're like i have no idea what's going on here is this an area i should even be in right now it, it, it's harder to learn i think like it's it takes up more ramp time is, is that a fair statement yeah definitely when i think it was like my second week I was like, I'm just going to sit down and kind of poke through the code base, like click on files and look around and see if I can understand it. And I was like, oh, that's not a thing you can do here. <laughs> and even now, like <laughs> I kind of know which which files are relevant to what I do. And I just like search for them and go to them. Like, I, And even then it's like I type in something like repository, like certain words are just like in a million files, like finding anything can be really difficult. Uh, so it's not, I don't think many, if any people like have the full understanding of the code base. And I don't, don't think you could because of how much it changes and how often it changes. But that was something I had to learn. It's definitely a bigger learning curve. I think with microservices, it can be a bigger learning curve to figure out how the whole system works, like how everything fits together, but onboarding to a specific service is easier. If my team worked on a smaller service, I would have picked up that information faster, maybe not understood like totally how it fits into everything else, but I would have been able to get up and running faster on what I was working on. Catherine, you're talking about like, it's sometimes harder to get your head around like how all the microservices work together. And I always think about that. Like it's always sunny and meme with like Charlie there, like with his hair, like going crazy and just like being so frustrated and like trying to show this huge diagram of how everything interacts with each other. And I feel like I've seen some microservice architecture diagrams that you're like, ah, my head. That is absolutely correct though. With like microservices, it's just like, I've been at Netflix for over six years now 
and I do not know how the whole uh, ecosystem works, and nor will I ever probably. You know, it's like maybe I haven't tried to sought out to try and do that, but I think that's the thing is you understand your service really well and how it communicates with another service, but there's like upstream or downstream services that you're interacting with that you may not even really quite understand or know or need to know. And sometimes that I think can be difficult because you may not communicate well between like understanding how how that handshake is happening. So I think there's complexity in that in itself is you kind of have to talk to humans at that point too, to try and understand their service. Another point you were saying about like um, a disadvantage of the monolith, like from at least from a development standpoint, and if, if Catherine, if GitHub is sort of like this too, where to run it all locally actually requires quite a powerful machine to actually a lot of like memory and CPU to actually get it all running. Cause I know like uh, when I was working on Bitbucket, we had a lot of stuff um, in Docker containers, Dockerized, and you would, you know, spin up a bunch of containers to run everything. And, you know, that would sometimes bring your, your very expensive, highly powered laptop to like, you know, start out getting really hot and the fans are going and you're like, Oh, how do I, how do I run this whole stack without like burning my laptop up? <laughs> so this was actually going to be one of my picks later, but we actually started using code spaces within the past few months. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it solves for that problem. Yeah, I'll talk about it more later, but it, it is a lot on the computer if you try to run the GitHub code base locally. I, I love that at GitHub, you're using code spaces. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> for those who don't know, code spaces is a GitHub product, but uh, I'm very excited to hear more about that, Catherine. Right away, that was where my head goes to is like, there are ways in which like a remote development environment can try and help solve for that because yeah, it, it gets complicated. I mean, I think even just running Docker on itself is already the fans start going. And so if you have multiple Docker containers going, your fans are probably going really, really fast. So that that's a valid point. We kind of jumped all over, which is great. Any more like advantages, disadvantages that you all would like to highlight between either of them? I think this is somewhat related to like how hard it is to run a monolith on your computer, but also things like tests and CI are much slower. Like I was told just don't try to run the whole test suite because it's just a bad idea and it'll take forever. Um, so I have to like go to the specific file I want to run and run it for that. Um, yeah, that's that's a really great point too. Is you have to be a little more thoughtful on not running all the tests because even to, I think Stacy earlier mentioned like, oh, if I made a small change in the CSS or something, well, is that going to kick off all the tests? And that may be okay, but likely not. As the code base gets bigger and bigger, that's a lot of tests probably running, um, which also could be concerning too is like you almost have to know which tests to run that are relevant to that piece versus like being able to run the entire suite you'll catch things that you didn't realize that that one file change affected other places so i could see that being a concern too is you know you might miss some of the tests that need to be run yeah we do have some rails in place um it does run the whole test suite in ci like once it's in a pr but like locally while i'm developing i can't so I'll run the files I think might have tests that broke. Um, but a lot of times I find out later down the line, like, oh, I also broke this test in this file that was really far away. Um, so it definitely slows down the feedback cycle there. For both of you, like, if you had to start from scratch, 
how would you think about like what to use, like a monolithic code base or a microservice system? And, and what would go through your decision-making? Because I, I see pros and cons. We've talked about them. Both are great solutions, but they have their unique choices. And I, I'd be interested if you had to start from scratch, how would you think about that? Interesting question. I think those are always hard questions because I'm, I'm just like, well, what am I building and why am I building it? And <laughs> yep. um, so I guess if I was like building maybe a web application, I don't know if these terms delineating these things anymore makes sense, but like a web app versus maybe just like a simple content-based website where there's not a lot of like interaction in, um, in it, you know, I would choose different stacks and different ways of assembling that uh, architecture. Cheers. <laughs> that was hard to avoid. Yeah. And so let's say I'm building like a web app. It's going to be having, it's going to have like a lot of interaction in it, I'd probably, I'd go with the spot sort of style of things, like build something maybe uh, in, maybe with React and have it be um, independently deployable, just like static assets. And then um, any data that I would need, I'd like to have that in, in some sort of API, but maybe that's, maybe GraphQL, maybe that makes sense, sense to stand up depending on, you know, like depending on your team and what skills they have, like that might make uh, a lot of sense to do. I don't know, it's so many so many questions to like answer first before I'd be like, this is how I would do it. <laughs> it's like one of the best answers is it depends. Like, cause it is yeah. a hard question. It's like, and I think that, you know, and I think that's exactly it is you've got to think through some of the use cases and you're like, oh, I even like Stacy where you said it of like, well, is it like an interactive web app or is it very static? That might lead you down to different paths or are multiple teams working on this or is it just like one person, you know, what are, what are the skill sets on? And, the, and it may change over time. Like 10 person company may become a thousand person company. And over time you might change that. And, and so I think those are the types of things that go through my head too, but it, 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 the best answer is it depends. Yeah. I don't think I have anything better to say than that. I think it, it does definitely depend. I like what you said about like, it depends on the skill sets. And I know you mentioned, I think the monolith you worked in before was like a Django app. I think there's, there's certain frameworks that lend themselves really well to monoliths. So like Django or Laravel or Rails are like classic. They set you up to build a monolith. They give you everything out of the box right there. And so if you want to get up and running fast, like you can build with one of those frameworks and it has everything you need and you can get that deployed. And if that's, I think that's GitHub started as a Rails monolith because that was the skill set of the founders. But yeah, also thinking into the future of like how big is this going to become? Like how will it need to scale? What kind of functionality does it need? Um, there's so many questions, just like you said. Yeah, with like a full web application framework like like Django and Rails and stuff. Um, it's a really great point, Catherine. Like of those things have so much stuff built into them. They're like common patterns for the web that have evolved over many, many years and like people solving certain uh, categories of problems and, and baking that into these big application frameworks. And so, yeah, you don't have to end up, you don't have to start with a lot of that plumbing work. You end up being able to focus on features and really that's what it's about in the end, right? Like you're trying to build an app that solves some problem for a person that's going to use it. And so a lot of times these even though they're, you know, monoliths and there's some trade-offs there, a positive is that you might get going really fast and get something out there really fast that's usable and 
Um, if you go the other way of kind of like uh, building everything from scratch, you know, and artisanally, you know, coding everything, like you might end up uh, swirling and doing a lot of just busy work that has been solved before. Catherine, you you even mentioned that how GitHub started because it was like the founders had created it this way. And that's usually how things start is like, what are people familiar with? And then it, and it stems from that. But I think it, it's interesting too, is like, are there certain types of cultures that gravitate towards a, you know, microservice driven architecture or a monolithic architecture? I said it both times. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I don't know if this is something, but um, I wonder if sometimes like really, really big companies. So if you have a, like a, a company that's been around for a while and they have a lot of established like different organizations and different management structures over those organizations and they start to like be sort of autonomous and like build, they're building their own things. Like if that lends itself well to microservices, because then there isn't, you have to depend on each other, highly depend on each other to build stuff. So you can kind of move faster, even though it's a really big company, you can still move pretty quickly because you're, you're able to develop without having tons of dependencies on everything. I don't know if that's true or not. It just, it seems like sometimes that architecture can like map well to uh, a big structure like that organizationally. Yeah, I just looked this up to make sure I was right, but there's something called Conway's Law that says an organization that designs <laughs> a system will produce a design whose structure is a copy of the organization's communication structure. So I think yeah. I think a lot of the times like those two things will mirror each other, like the not just the culture of the company, but like the organizational structure of the company, um, like how those are broken apart might be uh, similar to how the code base architecture this up. Cheers. Cheers. I hadn't really thought of that. Like I was thinking of like even culture dictating the route you go of the way you structure your code. But it's really interesting to flip that around is like how we a uh, company will organize around the code base. That is interesting. And it makes so much sense, Catherine, you spelling that out. I'm like, yeah, that is so true. And even to the flexibility or aspect of like, well, this team owns this service, so we need a dedicated org around it. Or, you know, like, it's super interesting just to think about that. And I'm sure that has absolutely happened in pretty much every single company in tech is like, that's how uh, orgs get started and shaped around that. And like what I said earlier about people being able to move between teams easily at GitHub, it's also like one of the biggest complaints that I've heard is that people get reorged a lot. So maybe... <sighs> It's, it's not that bad for the business uh, as far as like engineering, because people can understand the new teams, but people don't like being moved around all the time and like having a new manager and new teammates super often. Yeah. And it may not even be as challenging too, at that point, like, cause sometimes people, you know, they move around companies to a different team or org and yes, you might have to switch managers obviously doing that. And so that can be a, a deterrent sometimes if you like your manager, but I think there's also sometimes where you're like, I want to work on something completely different. And so being on that monolith side, it might be hard because you're like, well, I'm doing something different from the business perspective. Like I'm do working on the PR side of GitHub or I'm working on how like repositories are, are show up in, in for users, but the code is very much the same. And so you're not getting uh, exposure to different technologies or, and that might be okay. It might just be business that you're looking at of different change and having that baseline technology might be 
completely fine, but I could also see that being a deterrent as you move around. Um, and to your point, Catherine, is oh, he does make it easier to say like, all right, well, let's just move this team over here to focus on this area and moving people around is easier because you don't have that huge ramp up time on a new system or architecture. Cheers. 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 And one other thing is if you, and like say the opposite of that, you have a, a microservice kind of uh, implementation in your company and there are lots of different teams working on a bunch of different services. But if you do have the same sort of code standards and, and language standards, like it's sort of the same, like you could just move to a different team and really you're just learning more about business rules than you are about like the technology stack. So that maybe doesn't even change if, if depending on the company um, about like boredom and wanting to work on different things. Um, there's also an interesting cultural thing of maybe like a internal open source kind of thing where maybe you're, you're not on that other team, but you can put up a pull request to that microservice in that other repository because it's open to you and you can see all the code in the company and um, it, it may be like that other team doesn't have time to make the change, but you're you know happy to do it. Like if the culture is right, like that can be really beneficial. Like even if it is, you know, microservices and different teams own it, but it's still like open culture for code changes that that can help. This is probably a good time to, for us to jump into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share things that we found interesting, want to share with all of you. So we'll jump right in. Stacy, do you want to share picks that you have for us for this episode? Sure. I've got two picks today. I've got uh, the first one is um, sort of, they're, they're both music picks as, as per usual. The first one is a, more of a meditative piece. Um, it's called Sit Around the Fire by John Hopkins, Ram Das, and East Forest, which is a really fascinating combo of names. John Hopkins is like a composer. He's put a lot of really great electronic music together. So this piece, I guess he was uh, building, uh, working on this new album, and he was contacted by East Forest, um, who spent some time with Ram Das in Hawaii before he passed away. Um, he's given access to some lesser heard talks from the 70s and asked to set them to music. And then uh, East Forest did some like choral vocals which he recorded and then basically john hopkins sat down and and like in i think sort of i don't know if it was one take but wrote the piano and improvised to it so it's just a really beautiful piece and very like meditative um if you just want to like calm down at the end of the week the next oh, yeah. pick is real realign uh it's a max cooper remix of a henry green track stereo fox described it this way uh, max cooper transformed the soulful realign into a more progressive and textually rich track particularly with the inclusion of bright synthesizers and upbeat drums uh, so that's a good good track to go to has anyone made a playlist of like all of stacy's picks <laughs> someone did i thought yeah we started to put them into a playlist i think ryan you were doing that for a little while like putting them into a front and happy for a hour while, playlist. Yeah. <laughs> i may have fallen off on doing that i feel like stacy you need to almost own that as just like the stacy like, front and happy hour like playlist yeah um i feel like i i know i you would have a subscriber for me doing it like i would definitely listen um Same and i'm here. sure there's a lot of others that would benefit yeah Catherine, what uh, picks do you have for us yeah i have two so one is a hydroflask cooler cup so it's like Ooh. essentially an insulated koozie like for cans or bottles so like beer and stuff like that um i was on a camping trip this summer and my cousin had one and it was like the greatest thing because i'm kind of a slow drinker but like it keeps it cold for like hours 
And since then, I've like gifted them to a bunch of people. Uh, my fiance got them for all his groomsmen. Um, they're really awesome. We love them. Uh, and then my second pick is GitHub Code Spaces. Not biased at all. Um, so what that is, <laughs> is it's essentially an entire VS Code development environment in the cloud. Um, so we talked about it earlier, getting an, a monolith running on your local uh, machine can be a lot. So with this, you can have that up and running in seconds. So I actually had a couple of days after joining GitHub, I went ahead and cloned the whole repo and it took me like two hours to get it cloned and all the setup scripts running and stuff. And then like the next day, someone told me like, oh, by the way, you don't have to do that anymore. Just use code spaces. And I was like, oh, great, cool. And I did that and it's literally like 10 seconds and I have a whole development environment up and running. It feels the same as local because you can run it in the browser, but you can also run it in your VS Code desktop. So it's super, super awesome. Pretty much every time I work on a new branch, so a new feature, I just spin up a new code base. So I have a fresh database state, really, really nice. I also think it'll be great for like contributing to open source because sometimes you just want to make like one small contribution, but you don't want to have to clone the whole thing to do that. So you just don't do it at all. Um, so I think that this is going to yeah. open up a lot of possibilities for just getting started on a project really quickly. I echo so many of your feelings on this. Like it's, it, I'm excited. I've, I've been looking at code spaces as well. And I think there's a, it just has a lot of potential there. I even love your open source example where you're right. Like there's times where it takes so much to spin up a project and, and just get to where you need to be to make a contribution that especially on like documentation where you're like that's really easy i guess you don't have to spin up the whole project just for documentation but usually you want to like understand what you're trying to do so i love that i didn't even think of that example so thank you Catherine. that's even a bigger selling point feels like you might work for github or something i don't know <laughs> i genuinely love it <laughs> no I, I believe you on that all right, well, I have two picks for us. One, which is kind of funny, is a repository on GitHub that I just recently put together. Uh, I've been having a lot of people ask me, a lot of engineers, but even other managers of like interview questions, like how do you prepare for a manager interview? And I've been asked this many times. And of course, like the more you get asked something, you're like, how do I scale myself? Keep answering these same questions over and over again. And so I was like, I'm going to sit down and make a repository. It's just basically a readme of some example questions that you may get asked in a interview for a manager role. And I think it's been really helpful for ICs moving to manager because this is very new to them. And so how do you prepare for that? So I put together a a nice GitHub repository for that, and you can just see the different questions. And then my second pick is a book called Everybody Matters. Really like this book in the sense, I think even more so when I think about it in the pandemic, of just how important it is for us to care about each other as people. And I think that this is a great leadership book where it's like really trying to understand your team and build trust with them. I think there's a lot of great information in the book. And I think that a lot of leaders should read it, but even just anyone really like, how do I work with others and collaborate? I think there's a lot of really helpful information in the book. So that's my second pick. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us. It's been awesome hearing your experience and you're new to GitHub too. So like, it's really cool, fresh in your head, jumping into a 
monolithic code base. Where can people get in touch with you? Because I know they're going to want to find out more. So where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, the best place is probably on Twitter at Catherine Codes. Uh, and on GitHub, I'm at OctoCatherine, which is a play on OctoCat, GitHub's mascot. Yeah, but it's definitely say hi on Twitter. I love that. I love like Catherine Codes and then OctoCatherine. That's great. So good. Do you have your own sticker yet? Not yet, but that is an excellent idea. And I might just have to do that. <laughs> okay, well, since I gave you the idea, I do expect one of those stickers at some point. Definitely. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on frontendhappyhour.com. You can find us on Twitter at FrontNHH. Any last words? Break apart that architecture. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>